My paper out of Malachi today. Uh, we're in the fourth chapter. There's only six verses, so I think we might uh, make it out today. And I'm just praying that as we've gone through this, that uh, you have been blessed and stretched and um, just really challenged by God's word. And again, as we've looked at Malachi, um, it's the last book in the Old Testament. So if you know where Matthew is, just flip back one page. We will be in uh, Malachi, the fourth chapter. Today, we want to talk about how God has provided and how he provides. And I know that as we've gone through Malachi, um, I've re-listened to some of the messages. I've, I've gone over my notes. Because usually when I finish up in a word, I like to, or in a book, I like to sort of I do a conclusion and I like to really sort of wrap things up and I noticed that a lot of Malachi as we've been looking through it seems like God was getting after the people but we saw the people that were arguing God kept saying you're doing this and they kept saying but in what way are we doing this they were sort of blind to their own shortcuts and again even though the books to Israel we can look and say are we that much different Many times God is trying to speak to our heart to change us, to get us moving in the right direction, to find those things that are very important that he wants us to do. And we're sort of blind to it and say, but I'm, I don't understand. Or maybe he's wanting us to shed something in our life. Maybe it is a, a, a habit or just a... a Thing that absorbs too much time and God says I desire some of that time too we talked last week about can a man rob God and it's amazing how our mind automatically goes to financial things but I hope that you discovered that there's more ways to rob God than just financially does God desire us to give yes we, we keep ministries going that way that's fine but we also talked about time, we talked about prayer, we talked about other things that we can do for God. And if he is being cheated from that, from us, then we are robbing God. We concluded last week, and I'm just going to go back and just read a, the last three verses of, of chapter 3, 16 through 18, in that book of remembrance, because today I wanted just to really remind you that uh, God provides. God provides a way out. Remember he said, if you will remember me and return from your evil ways. Okay? He told us that earlier in Malachi. He was telling Israel that. Tells us the same thing. The Bible tells us if we humble ourselves, it tells us in the scriptures, and come to him and pray and seek his face. He has those times where when we're going our own direction, he just doesn't leave us there, but he gives us the option. He wakes us up to the call and says, return to me, return to me. He is a God of provision. And that's why Jesus Christ came. But he had this book of remembrance in the end of chapter 3, and it says, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Now that fear isn't just that trembling, but it was a respect. It was a healthy respect. If you were raised in a, in a, 
a normal home. And I understand like a lot of people weren't raised in a normal home. I wasn't raised in a normal home. I was raised in what they would call a dysfunctional home. And a lot of homes to whatever degree are, are somewhat dysfunctional. But you would have a respect for your father. As a matter of fact, if you would watch some of the old Leave it to Beavers or Wait Till Your Father Comes Home shows, um, that sort of had significance. Mom would say, wait till your father gets home. And that was usually enough to correct the behavior that was going on because they had a respect, but they also had sort of a fear of that. I think many times in, in our lives today, we've lost that respect of God. We say that we love Him. We say that we respect Him. But we don't have that respect of knowing that there's a judgment day coming. That there's a day that it says that we're going to be accountable to Him and give answers for those things. And so here at the end we see these people that says, those who feared the Lord. Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. They are having fellowship. They were discussing these things. And it says, And the Lord listened, and he heard them. When my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, then I will hear, it says. Have you humbled yourself? And it says, This book of remembrance was written for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. See, God gives us the answer. He provides the solution for the problem that is in our lives. He says, then they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. And we talked about that Lord of hosts means the Lord of everything. He's the Lord of everything. He's the God of everything. Then they shall be mine on that day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them. As a man spares his own son and, and who serves him, then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. So the end of chapter 3, we see this. And now we come into chapter 4. And it's going to talk about that great day of the Lord, that great day of God. These are the last words that are penned in the Old Testament. Before the silence comes, before the New Testament begins. Not that that's any greater significance, but we need to sort of look at this and think about if there was something to be said before a long period of silence, here it is. And it's going to talk about that great day of God. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubborn. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. Sounds like a, a sort of a terrible time, doesn't it? If you think about that, the desolation, there's going to be nothing left. Now, I've, I've been on our fire department here in Augusta, and the, the one up in Junk River I served many years, and Every now and then we would have a, a fire of total destruction where there was just really nothing left but a little bit of rubble. And maybe it was a building or maybe it was sometimes even in the woods. But everything was destroyed and, and this is what this is talking about. This is burning like an oven. But it's not talking about things burning. It's talking about people. And we need to understand that. 
And all the proud, yes, all who wickedly will be that stubble. Because the Lord does not change in his commitments or purpose, Israel has not been completely destroyed by their disobedience or by their persistent unfaithfulness. And do you know God gives us that, that same promise in our life? Sometimes we think because we've, we've been bad. Oh, you don't know. Sometimes I talk with people. You don't know how bad I've been. You don't know what it is that I've done. And my answer is usually always the same. It really doesn't matter because God's forgiveness can cover that. Jesus' blood can pay for that. And working in a prison system, I've, I've worked with some pretty horrendous things. Pretty horrendous people. And we think maybe God isn't going to hear us. But I always say he hasn't destroyed you. You haven't been removed. You haven't been taken. And as long as we have breath, and as long as we are willing to turn from our ways and to turn towards God and to listen to his voice, he is faithful even when we are unfaithful. The offer is always there. God is always willing to provide. But he tells us this, it's only through repentance and reformation of our life will we experience God's blessing. It's not just enough to say, I'm sorry for this, and continue on in our ways. And, and I think the church has failed extremely at that over the years where, where we just said, you know what, walk forward, say your prayer, and just continue to live in the sin that you're in. It's okay. Jesus paid for your sins. Past, present, and future. See, they take a, half, they take a truth and, and they sort of form it to their life. God tells us we need to repent. That means that we need to seek not only forgiveness, but it means that we agree with God that what we're doing is wrong, and we agree with God that things need to change, and we purpose in our heart to change those things, and we begin to walk anew. Change a heart, change a mind, change a direction is the, the statement that we always like to use. But we need to repent, and again back in... In chapter 3, verse 6, it said, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, God says. That's what repentance is, is returning to God. It's like the prodigal son who has strayed, he's walked, he's been doing his own thing, living his own way, and he says, I'm not making it, and I need you, Lord. And he starts coming home and he rehearses that, that speech to his father all the way home. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. The father knew his heart. The father was anticipating and looking for that son to come. But the people at that time said, but what in what, in what way shall we return? I don't even think I've left you. See, they were blind to those things. So only through repentance... In Reformation, are we going to receive God's blessing? Are we going to feel His presence? Are we going to know His, his all-consuming uh, uh, presence in our life? His Holy Spirit in our life? Those who honor the Lord, it says, will be spared when it comes time to judge. Some people call it a hellfire and brimstone message. Some people say it, it's fire insurance. Listen, if you're coming... 
just to this table just to say, you know, well, you know what, I was given a choice, heaven and hell, and certainly don't want to go to hell, uh, and I'd like to go to heaven, so I'm going to say this prayer, but I'm not going to change my life. God says that's hypocrisy. Those who honor the Lord, those who fear the Lord, those who respect the Lord, those who put their trust and faith in the Lord. New Testament would say those who deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him will be spared when the time of judgment comes. Have you done that in your life? I think that's going to be our next series about salvation. What does it look like? What is it about? How does it, how does it play out in a person's life? See, fire can make things pure. Again, Malachi talked about that again back in, in chapter 3. Verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner in purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Those are, there is a fire that can make things pure. We talk about that. Sometimes we're going through the refiner's fire. God will take us through these things. We played a song this morning um, that I just found a couple weeks ago, and I really like it because it's about a person that is praying for something, and God lets some things happen to them, and they didn't understand that. They didn't really expect that. Listen. If we are going to be conformed to his image, if we are going to be pleasing in his sight, we need to let God have his way with us. And that means sometimes taking us through that refiner's fire. That means purging us. That means humbling us. That means breaking us down sometimes. I had a young man one time, after I'd given a message, and, and we were talking about the sheep. And some, some of you might have seen this picture of Jesus where he has this sheep around his neck. And he's carrying the sheep. And the premise of that picture is that shepherds in the old days, if they had a, uh, a sheep that was uh, sort of a wild hare, you would say, one that had its own mind and would go its own way and wouldn't listen to the shepherd's voice, the shepherd many times would dislocate its leg. Or some people would say break, but they would dislocate its leg. And the purpose was that it was not to hurt the sheep, or not just to exercise control over that sheep, but it was because the shepherd loved that sheep and wanted to make that sheep dependent on the shepherd because now that sheep couldn't go anywhere. That sheep was dependent upon the shepherd for food, for water, for protection, for everything. And during this time of healing, that sheep would become very dependent upon the shepherd and that relationship would build. So I'm going to tell you, sometimes God is going to take you somewhere that you don't want to go. And you say, why, Lord? I don't want to be here. Why have you left me? And God wants your total dependence upon him. He may have to break your spirit. He may have to humble you. But he wants to build that relationship with you. So fire can make things pure. But here it's a fire that destroys things. That great and mighty day of the Lord. And it says it will happen to people who do not listen to God. 
Is there an importance in stressing obedience to God? Yes. I'm not talking obedience to the church or obedience to a pastor or to an elder. I'm talking obedience to God's word. God's word is our final authority. It's our only authority. And we need to obey God's word. And as I've said, as we've looked through things that have been going on in this world, we don't obey out there because of out there. We obey out there because of what's in here. Because of what God's word says. So this, this judgment, this fire, this all-consuming fire, and we'll get into it in a moment, is going to happen to people who do not obey him. They have not repented of their sins. They're not even sorry for their sins. And we can expect that of the world. The world isn't sorry for their sins. Or they may be sorry for their sins, but they're certainly not going to repent of their sins. But when we have Christians and believers in the church today that don't repent of their sins, that carry bitterness and anger and resentment, that have hostilities pent up inside of them or a rebellious spirit pent up inside of them and they're not willing to deal with it, God says there's a day that's coming. The great day of God. And it says they're going to be like a tree. And not one branch or root of them will remain after the fire. You know, fuel for the fire is that stubble. I don't know a whole lot about California. They always tell me it's the land of fruit and nuts. I always think of one way about that. Sort of a liberal state out there. But I know they got these terrible fires that go on. And we pray for protection for people that are in their fires. I think they got fires going on out west now, maybe even in, in Montana, Wyoming, and that. But it's the stubble. It's the stubble that gets consumed. Because the word stubble in the Hebrew Bible is dead bits of plants. Are we referred to as stubble? What does God's word say? Are we dead bits of plants? Are we dead men walking? You know, I've been told in the prison system, those that were sentenced to death or have a life sentence, they're dead men walking. They're never going to leave. In my eyes, the world is full of dead people walking. They're going about their daily thing, you know, living for today, living for the gusto. But they have no eternal life. So it talks of this hot sun. But to you who fear my name, verse 2, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings and shall go out and grow fat like a stall fed calves. And you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On that day I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Verses 2 and 3 are sort of strong because this hot sun can cause a fire. Lightning can cause a fire. There's all sorts of things that can cause a fire. But the hot sun can also be a sun of righteousness. And that's the promise that God gives us through his word. This is the only place in the Bible that mentions a sun of righteousness. The only place. The last few words of the Old Testament. It's been said that its wings are the streams of, of light from the sun. Some Christians believe that this is a, a description of Jesus Christ that he's giving in this great day of God. 
we sing a famous Christmas song by, by Charles Wesley that includes the lines, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, Hail the Son of Righteousness, Light and life to all he brings, Risen with healing in his wings. Hail is another word for praise. Bringing praise to God. But you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, and it's capitalized even though it's spelled S-U-N. In, in Wesley's hymn, it's saying the same way. That son of righteousness, a representation of Jesus Christ, shall arise with healing in his wings. He has provided a way. Listen, sin hurts, sin kills. Sin causes all sorts of things in our life. And Jesus has come to give healing in his wings. And he says, you shall go out like a fat, uh, you shall grow fat like a stall-fed calf. Some of you farmers might know that when you lock something up and you give it a lot of uh, food, it, it gets fat quicker than when it's out there running around. Heaven born means born from help with God. We can't be born again of ourselves. We can't do the works to get to heaven or to get that relationship. When Jesus calls, we say yes. That's why it says today is the day of salvation. Some people say, well, I'm going to sow all my oats and then I'm going to come to the Lord. Listen, when he calls, you got to be ready to answer. Jesus is the heaven-born Prince of Peace. He is the one who is the Son of Righteousness. And so Malachi says that people will become very excited... This is a time of, of excitement and three. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be like ashes under the soles of your feet. If any of you have seen the, the calves that are let, like if they're confined in a barn or confined in a, a stall, and then in the spring you let them out, have you ever watched them go? They're fun to watch, aren't they? They're excited, they're happy, they're jumping and bucking and running around and just acting a fool. And that's what it says. We're going to jump about like animals that have been let out of their pens. They've been set free. Jesus has set us free. And in Israel here, God is saying this, your Redeemer is coming. Listen, grace has always been salvation. It's never been of the law. We've talked a lot about the law. And he says, observe the law. And he says, follow the law, because that's how they related to God back then. But it's always been through the Messiah that was going to come. It's always been through grace and faith. And as we read through here, it says, For they shall be like ashes under the soles of your feet. Those are the ones that have died. That's the stubble that has been totally consumed and burnt up. You say, I don't know if I like that thought. I don't know if I like that thought of being happy that we're dancing on the ashes of those that have been burned up. After all, in Deuteronomy it says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Right? It tells us we're not supposed to try to punish our enemies or do wrong to those that have done wrong to us. That God is the greatest judge. He will punish the wicked people. But this is God that is doing this. And the scriptures teach us that when we come into that final day, when we are united with him, 
those old things aren't even going to be known to us. We're going to rejoice in the righteousness of Christ. People are rejoicing and they're dancing because of God's righteousness. He has come to set his people free and now here it is. They have been set free. They are being called back to him. And God's people are glad because God has saved them. We look forward to the day when we're going to go be with our Savior. And when that day comes, we're going to have joy that we can't even explain. We're going to be so consumed with God and, and, and Christ and the Spirit and, and the place that He has, has us in His presence that nothing else is going to be even imaginable to us. What does it say? I has not seen or ear heard the things that God has in store for us. We're going to be so overwhelmed with His presence that we're not going to be thinking of other things. But we will know that we've been delivered. And we will know that we've been saved. Malachi once more reassures and warns his readers that that day, in verse 5 it says, that great and dreadful day of the Lord is coming. It's going to burn like a furnace, as it said in verse 1. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. God provides. God provides a way. So he's reassuring us, but he's also warning us. And we need to take that warning out to others. We can reassure those that, that are walking with Christ, he's coming. Don't find despair. Don't, don't get down. Things in the world are messy. Don't get down. Don't get overly consumed with that. God is still in control. God is in control of everything that is happening right now. Has he forgot us? No, he has not forgotten you. Does he not care anymore? Yes, he still cares for us. If God didn't care for us, this world would have been gone a long time ago. But his grace is great. And it reaches out and it extends. So he reassures us, but he also warns us that if you're not right with God and that day comes, hell is your, your eternal place. says that day that great and dreadful day of the Lord is coming and it will burn like a furnace and then that day it says the righteous will rejoice we're going to rejoice with him and it says you will trample down the wicked that's what I call victory dance God is going to come in and grab us and take us home and love us and we're going to be with him forever and ever. What's that going to look like? I have no idea. But I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to experience. So remember, he says, the law of my servant Moses. He's reminding Israel, remember the statutes that are written. Remember the things that I have given you through Moses. Listen, God has given us a lot in his word. There's a lot of people that say, well, we don't need to even think about the law because, you know, we're New Testament, Old Testament. You know, it's man that sort of put that, that division in there. 
before Christ and after Christ. We're not bound by the law, but we're saved by grace. But it doesn't make the law of no effect. When God says do something, we're to do it. If he says to abstain from something, we're to abstain from it. And so he says, remember the law of my... Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel. He's telling them, remember those things. We need to remember what it is that God has done for us. He also says he's going to provide Elijah to come. To call them back to the godly ways of their forefathers. Now, again, some of this can be Israel-specific. But God is still providing. God is still providing through all these things. And the last few words of the Old Testament are, are a call back to God. And it's really the same in the New Testament. It's a call back to God. When we have strayed and we have walked and we have done our own thing and gone our own way in our rebellion, in our pride, in our stubbornness, we have gone our own way. And God continually provides and calls us back. Under the Old Testament or under the times prior to Christ, Israel related with God on the basis of the law. But the scripture tells us today that we have a new covenant with him. And we can learn so much, learn so much from a book like Malachi. But the new covenant, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? I'm not just talking, do you believe in him in your head because you've been taught him since you were a kid. Jesus says, if you believe me, you'll do what I say. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? That means are you obedient to him and to his word? Because he talks about if that's the relationship, if that inner relationship is missing, if we're just continually walking in our own way, doing our own things, if there's no self-control in our life, and there's no control of the Holy Spirit in our life, are you really His? I had a man once tell me, and he had some, some different thoughts about him, life and different things, I guess. Uh, but he made a comment once to me that said, uh, God sort of hardwired me this way. Don't ever believe that. In Genesis, when God was done with man, you know what he said? It is good. And then came the fall. We are not good. There's nothing righteous in us apart from Jesus Christ. Our tendency, our, our direction, if left unchecked, is to do what we want to do, to say what we want to do, to, to get vengeance, to get even, to hold bitterness, to hold anger, to spread malice. That's our nature. We're not good. So if you say, God hardwired me this way, I would say no. Satan's hardwired us this way. But thankful for the grace of God that we are able to overcome. When we put our trust and our faith in him, when we think before we talk, when we take every thought captive and give it to the Lord, it is then that he has control of our life. 
When we spend time in prayer and we get up in the morning and say, Lord, direct my paths today. We are then on the right track of letting the Lord control our life. Instead of just saying, well, you know what, I got all this to do today. And Lord, if I got time, I'll, I'll try to catch a little prayer around noon. If not, then I'll catch tonight when I go to bed if I'm not too tired. It's not how God works. Our God is a jealous God. He loves us and he wants us. And he loves us so much that he gave his son Jesus for us. He will provide a way. But we must choose to walk in it. We must choose to follow him. Let's pray. Father, again, as we have gone through this book of Malachi, what a wonderful prophet. And even though it's a, a message to Israel, we can glean so much from it. We can take so much from it. We can learn so much from it. Father, help us to humble ourselves. This very moment, Lord, I, I believe that you are speaking to many here today, including myself, of, of things that we need to deal with in our life. Father, we just can look at the world and, and, and we wonder why is the church looking so much like the world. You have called us to be different. You have called us to be unique. You have called us to stand out. We're to be light amongst the darkness. Father, help us to do that. Not only as a body of Christ here as, as First Baptist Church, but as individuals. As we go out into the world, may we be a light amongst the darkness that people are drawn to. May we be examples in our, in our character and in our decisions that when people look, they may not understand, but they will know who we belong to. Father, take away any doubt that you don't care for us. Take away any doubt that that this world is out of control. Take away any doubt that, that you are not the sovereign and the Lord of hosts, the Lord of everything. Help us to believe in that. Lord, your word tells us with, with faith the size of a mustard seed, we could do unimaginable things. And Lord, it says you have given each one a measure of faith. Help us, Lord, to walk in that faith and to walk in your truth. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.